And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we sincerely hope that this theme song and the next 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness will help you stay indoors, forget about the craziness of the world for a while, and maybe enjoy our shared hobby of video games a bit more as we all join the worldwide community of people who are, are trying to think about each other and do what's right for the world. Uh, luckily, video games can help us all stay in, can help us all pass the time, and can help us all take our minds off the stress of not knowing what comes next. So our goal this week, and for as many weeks as it takes to get through this, is to provide you some entertainment, some escape, and some fun discussion. And to try to stay as positive as we possibly can, because we need a little escape, and I'm sure you need a little escape. And so we're going to try to keep on trucking. Video games is a great hobby, and we're all we got lots of fun stuff to talk about. It's going to be a wacky, weird year. We don't know about a lot of things, but we do know that staying in and playing video games is good for the world right now. So why not celebrate that? Uh, we are brought to you this week by our sponsors, who I'm pleased to say are still supporting us as of now. <laughs> Third Love, Ritual, and Quip are still on board, and uh, we hope you patronize them. Uh, it's going to be weird for the next few weeks, so stick with us. We're going to try to we're going to try to stay positive and do what we can and get your back. It's a time for all of us to get all of our backs, and I know somebody that has my back is my friend slash co host. Slash nemesis, the guy who's staying in and doing what's right and not helping spread this not this craziness, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. How are you? I'm doing all right. We're hanging in there. Hello, audience. Um, someone in the chat, G Safe, just said they bought Just Dance yesterday. Um, that is a great way to stay active indoors. Uh, I have a quick circuit for people if they're looking to do something, and there's no amount of time you need to do, but to keep the heart rate going and to get some, you know, geeks and sneaks esque things that you can do inside. Um, it's all sets of 10, do as many rounds as you're comfortable with. Start small. It's just 10 burpees, 10 pushups, 10 air squats, and then find a piece of furniture, like a coffee table or a chair and do uh, 10 dips where your legs are out, your arms are back behind you and you're taking your triceps uh, to a 90 degree angle and then pushing up and repeat and start small. And then go from there. And I have found that when I was traveling on the road and, um, you know, not able to get to a gym or something like that, that felt like a great way to get my heart rate up and then also work on some muscle mass. But if anyone else has some You lost me at tricks, burpees, dude. You lost me at burpees. Well, that's just get the heart rate spike. I know. I, I'm done. I already stopped. I already well, stopped if anyone else has tips or tricks that Jeff <laughs> maybe is on board with, please share them in the subreddit. And let's, you know, we got to take care of our each other by taking care of ourselves. It's true. We've been doing a lot of dancing here in the house. The My kids, uh, it's, it's rough being cooped up in the house with two under four-year-olds. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we've been doing a lot of dancing. The, the kids are super into the Numa Numa song, you know, the Numa Numa kid. Remember that back in the day? Numa, Numa, yay. So my kid was literally two minutes before we started recording, my kid was jamming out. And my daughter has started dancing too. She's crazy. She's almost two years old dancing. So uh, yeah, you gotta, you know, can't sit around like bumps in a log, but we can play lots of video games and we got lots of video games to talk about. There are new releases. There's lots of great stuff to talk about. So, you know, we're going to get through this. We're going to do it. And luckily we have an awesome guest to do it with. 
you know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I am so excited because once again, DLC stands for drafts, log lines, and columns. Because once again, we are so pleased to welcome back senior writer and critic at Kotaku. Heather Alexandra is back with us. Hey, Heather. Hey, that's me. I yeah. We paused for a second, and I was really, really excited, and it was worth it. You really let me in. It was a really good lead-in. How's it going? Uh, it is, you know, it's it's a strange time. It's a strange time, but we got lots of video games to talk about, so we're going to focus on that. Uh, how are you doing? You know, it's it's all right. Uh, we're kind of adjusting all of our work at the website and, and figuring stuff out, but... Yeah. There's a lot of stuff happening this month. There's a lot of games happening. My whole, my entire month is just back-to-back reviews, right? So I would have been hunkered down anyway. So some it's things good, are you know, changing, but yeah. I mean, I think I also do a podcast about movies. And that podcast is like, well, there aren't any for a while. So we're kind of scrambling trying to figure out Re-reviewing what to do. 1992s. Yeah. I mean, you joke, but that's what no, we're No, I'm not doing. joking. I'm, yes, yeah. 100%. Uh, and but the good news is this show and this medium is actually it could be a boon i mean it's a weird thing to say but it could it why not stay home and play video games why not dig into that back catalog of great stuff that's available now and plus we're just starting up with this crazy release schedule so it's you know there's lots of great stuff to talk about so let's jump in and start the show the way we always do with story of the week Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or by visiting our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Uh, kind of feels silly to even ask what the story of the week is because there's one story that kind of looms over everything, obviously. but uh, Heather, you are our guest, so you get first pick. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Oh, so it's weird. So one of these stories is actually something that our site broke, but I can't say that because there is only one major story right now, and it's E3 getting canceled, right? It has to be. That has to be the big, big thing. Yeah. I mean, I was reading today that you know E3 got canceled four days ago, and it feels like four months ago that we heard that news because things have been happening so fast, and there's so much news and so much chaos happening in the world but yes this is massive news in the in the world of games we talked last week about some cancellations obviously gdc canceled and and uh south by southwest canceled and it seems like we're not going to have anything this summer obviously the big the big boys are now canceling i'm I'm assuming we're going to hear news about comic-con very soon canceling and yes e3 officially canceled uh their press release says after careful consideration excuse me, after careful consultation with our member companies regarding the health and safety of everyone in the industry, we've made the difficult decision to cancel E3 2020. Uh, This is not a postponement. This is a cancellation. And uh, Heather, I wonder what you, what you think about that. The fact that it is not postponed and this is already going to be kind of a weird year for E3 in one sense, a big year because we're supposed to be getting new consoles, but on the other hand, we already saw Sony saying they're not coming. We saw Jeff Keighley saying he's not coming. We've seen a bunch of high-profile companies throwing their own events instead of doing E3. And it it felt like E3 was kind of trending out. Do you think this might be the nail in the coffin for E3? 
I think at the very least, it's going to force them to really reconsider the ways that they present any of their information, any of their uh, big, um, you know, kind of press pushes uh, to people in the future. I, I think one thing to kind of pivot off of that right away, the one thing that I'm super curious about is the fact that like this has a ripple effect. This has a really big ripple effect heading outwards because these, you know, this and GDC, these are places where people talk. These are places where deals are made. These it's not, it's, you know, I know we think of E3 as, as largely this public facing, you know, press uh, conference, basically press conference, advertisement Palooza. And it absolutely is that 100%. But you know, those are places where people can meet. And I think there are a lot of people right now scrambling in boardrooms, trying to figure out what the hell they're doing. Yeah. Not to mention, are we even going to have new hardware this year? Right. Uh, I think that is a huge question mark going forward. Um, is Can you get the parts? Can you even do it? And even if you could, can you get these things to people if there's no going to stores? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of question marks. Um, Christian Spicer, we got word almost immediately after E3 was officially canceled that Microsoft still plans to be throwing their own uh, all digital streaming event and Warner brothers who was actually going to have their first press conference, I think ever uh, this E3 uh, and rumor had it, they were going to be announcing that long rumored rock steady superhero game that we've been predicting every E3 for the last six years. Uh, they were actually going to have their press conference. They're saying now they're also going to have a digital only sort of the, the, um, the Nintendo, um, what do they call it? Direct. Direct. Yeah, the Nintendo Direct and what Sony has been doing. This is something I've been predicting all, all our prediction episodes every year. Uh, it feels like maybe this is a weird catalyst to make that now the new norm. I mean, if companies were not going to do that and now they are, kind of feels like it'll be hard to come back from that switch over next year. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think, I mean, regardless, I think the trend toward direct-to-consumer, you know, releases and presentations was going to increase. I do think, you know, maybe the opposite is true, that after we come through the other side of this, um, potentially a very long time from now, but I think there might be a celebration of the return to E3, the return to PAX, the return to GDC. Like, yes, we could do it digitally, but we are people that are communal and we have made it through this and we are going to celebrate together. And I think that could see a big upswing in those style of conventions, not for a while, but eventually. The thing that I think, uh, you know, in addition to this, I'm curious how game studios are grappling with work from home and social distancing when so much of the... um assets that are made are so large you know like for me to download a game and this is a very trite thing but for me to download a game being 100 gigs but the hd 4k files that artists are rendering and working on and there's a lot of collaboration in making a game so if you look at hellblade 2 or you know any of these games that are expected to be halo infinite um to some extent maybe even ghost of tsushima like that aren't out yet but have release dates, I I think that this potentially, without any inside knowledge, potentially um, delays those games. And also, while we're having fun, I realize that that is the least important thing 
uh, right. you know, in well, the that, that thing, should be the thing that looms over this entire conversation. We're talking about video games. It's clearly not the most important concern right now, but that's what we're talking about. Cause that's what the show is. Right. Um, but, but then you hopefully know, keeping already... those people employed as well. Um, yeah. and, well, and finding other... for them to work from home and, and do this. So I don't know if like what people are using, what the, you know, transfer system is for sharing digital content and collaborating. But I think the ripple effect for this is going to be much bigger and longer than we are anticipating and that we will even see, um, you know, other stuff will be happening too under the waves. We've, we've already gotten um, press releases or announcements or news stories from some heavy hitters like Blizzard and Rockstar talking about how they are completely work from home. Their entire company is work from home. And yeah, that that can't – I don't know that obviously the details are what's the most difficult thing if file transfer is the most difficult thing or whatever it is. But there's going to be some hiccup there, some roadblock, something that is the reason you go into an office and not – work from home all the time at those companies anyway. And so, yeah, of course these things will, will have an effect and, and I'm sure there will be uh, delays and difficulties in the normal production of everything. Um, So that's huge. But I think from, for E3, I mean, you talk about how you kind of lumped it in with GDC and uh, PAX and stuff. And I, I just, I, I feel like E3 is a little different case I really do believe that this might be the the thing that accelerates what was going to happen anyway. And that because E3 was already morphing and already people were pulling out, it was such an expensive thing to do. And it, it really wasn't uh, consumer facing. It wasn't consumer focused like a PAX and it wasn't industry focused like a GDC. It was this other weird hybrid thing that was sort of a vestige of a bygone era where you needed to pitch things to Toys R Us managers, you know, uh, it, it just really hadn't found its identity in the digital age and was kind of floundering already. It just seems to me that this is the time when you have all these companies that were already realizing it in their own way, forced to go, oh, guess what? Digital is just as good. It's fine. We don't need this to happen. And I suspect that we won't have an E3 last year. I mean, Christian, I'm thinking, you know, uh, Heather, Christian and I do a predictions episode every year at the at the beginning of the year. And can you imagine, Christian, how crazy it would have sounded, how, how cool ranch it would have sounded of us to predict, if either one of us predicted there would be no E3 this year, <laughs> and we would have been right. Ugh, it's just a wild world that we live in. I mean, if you want to talk about how I predicted Call of Duty Warzone doing a free-to-play Battle Royale mode, and I got that accurate, I mean, I guess we can talk about that now. I was going to save my Spice Radamus brag for later, but since you're bringing up me being right about things, <laughs> sure, I'll say that now. Yeah. Well, I, yes, you nailed it. Nailed it. I mean, I just, we could have been so much more audacious if we had been like, there will be no GDC. There will be no E3. I am very glad like, I did what? not predict any of this. Yeah, right. Uh, so Heather, you you are a little less um, doom and gloom about the, the state of E3 or how do you feel about it? I don't know. I, I I think I think you're right to say that there's been a shift over the last couple of years for E3 to really try to find a way to, quite frankly, last, right? We That's one of the reasons why opening to the public was such a big deal. You know, the first G, you know, excuse me, E3 that I went to uh, for work was the first year they opened to the public. And that was such a weird experience, even as somebody who hadn't gone to the show before, 
where it was clear that this was a show that wasn't quite prepared for that shift. It was something, you're right, it was something that was happening because you needed people in there. You needed the energy. You really needed to, quite frankly, kind of justify what was going on. I think, I think you're right that this might be a catalyst for more people handling, um, you know, different ways of outreach and, and reaching the consumer. That, that, that had already been happening anyway. There's so many times where, but it, but it always happened adjacent to E3 anyway. People were like, well, don't go to E3, come down to this theater here or whatever. Um, so I, I think that's just, I think people are going to really kind of plant their flags and try and figure out their own spaces. I would be very surprised if it all kind of coalesce again. Also, I think, you know, not to cast too many stones or anything, I think faith in the ESA's kind of ability to deliver on organizing these events has just gone completely down the drain over the last like two years. Yeah. Yeah. I think Christian, I think you were the one that texted me when this news hit that, you know, at least, uh, at least they, stayed around long enough to broadcast all my information you know, out into the world. <laughs> uh, but um, I, I, before we leave this topic, I do want to um, ask one more question and it's from the actual consumer's perspective. I mean, we talk about it from an industry perspective and I think that's valuable, but if we're looking at a summer with no events like this, what do you think that does from a consumer perspective? Is there is there less awareness of, of what's happening? I mean, obviously sites like Kotaku and lots of other places are going to still give us information should we seek it out. But Heather, do you think that there is a tangible effect from the consumer's perspective of not having a summer event season, not having a summer con um, conference season? Yes and no. So I think E3, for a lot of ways, the people who might look at E3 now as this institution, um, quite frankly, we're getting older, right? And the people who, you know, now are are beginning to make up, you know, not, not to speak too much in, in a commercial sense, but, you know, there's more younger gamers and stuff. And for them, E3 has not been as huge of a thing. I think you're going to have a lot more people, a lot more companies that are pushing their relationships with Twitch streamers and other influencers and websites and, you know, even websites, right. In ways that, you know, maybe we hadn't seen before, which is quite frankly, where people's attention is anyway. Right. Um, I I think large trade shows just in general are are not, I think people like the energy of going, you know, PAX is exciting because you get to go to a panel or, or whatever, but you know, you don't really go to panels when you go to E3 or whatever, you don't go to a fun wrestling show with whoever or anything like that it's <laughs> right right <laughs> it, it's pre- it's pretty cut and dry so i think here the the thing that folks will really focus on is getting you know more direct outreach right through influencers through websites podcasts like yourself or anything too a lot more deals are going to be made i think yeah it is uncharted territory and very uh going to be a very interesting year to say the least and we need uh, nathan it's... drake to come figure it out for us yes <laughs> Uncharted territory, indeed. Uh, hopefully, it's not. It's it's more uncharted than Last of Us. That's all I'm hoping for. Uh, Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Well, keeping things upbeat, uh, I absolutely fell in love with Lego Super Mario. I did not expect to be so excited for Lego Super Mario. Like Lego, I love. We have been Legoing a lot here uh, at our house over the last few days, and I'm sure we will continue to. 
And I, I like theme sets. As a kid, I, of course, I grew up with just pirate, castle, you know, and whatever. And, and sometimes overly themed sets, I, I can find a little annoying because it's, they have a, it's like, build the, I'm making this up. I think the 89 Batmobile one is actually really great. So I'm just going to make this up. Build, you know, um, Skyship. And, and like Skyship has like a custom piece that only exists. It's like, I'm not building it. You just made a special piece that makes this thing or whatever. Um, and so while I realize I'm a little bit of a hypocrite here because Lego Super Mario definitely has some very special pieces. <laughs> it's almost all special pieces. <laughs> but they did it in a way that's not just this special piece builds this thing. Like I feel like seeing the Lego Super Mario kit or what's been advertised so far got me more excited for Mario World at Universal Studios whenever that opens than anything else that they have done. It was like, oh, I'm seeing a space that's interactive and talking to me and reacting to the things that I'm doing. I don't know if either of you, you know, watch the videos that are out right now, but I think it's really, really cool looking. Are you talking about the Universal thing or the or the Lego set? The Lego set, the Lego yeah. set. I, I kind of agree with you just in principle about Lego that when it's, a big giant piece that in previous generations would be a hundred pieces that make up that one piece. But Lego's like, eh, we'll just make a giant that, you know, we'll drink the giant Harry Potter front thing. It's, right. well, okay. But we would have created that out of little teeny bits before. And that's kind of the fun. So I'm, I'm with you on that sentiment. And it does seem like this Lego super Mario set, at least the one that they've shown so far. And, by all accounts, it looks like this is the the start of something very big, this collaboration um, between Lego and Nintendo. It looks like this is just the first of what will be a, a whole series of, of sets. Yeah. Oh, Lego Zelda? Are you kidding me? A Hyrule I mean, Castle? That's, that's <gasps> amazing, right? um, but it, it does seem like there are a lot of, of that, uh, the giant piece that's just a giant piece. But I think that the philosophy behind it is slightly different. It really isn't about making... Mario worlds out of Lego. It's a modular system where you're supposed to create, it's almost like Mario maker IRL. It's it. I think the idea isn't that you are taking tiny little Legos and creating something that looks like Mario world. It's rather that the modularity of Lego, the, the fact that they can fit together in any formation lets you take these pieces that already look like Mario world and put them in a variety of different formations to create new and different levels for your little digital Mario avatar to go through. And we should say, in case anybody listening hasn't seen this video, the Mario is a fully interactive element. It has a digital screen on it that when you collect coins, we'll keep a running tally of those coins, and I'm sure we'll have future functionality as well. But I think that the philosophy is wildly different. And when I first saw it, I was a little disappointed with how it looked of like, oh, that's not really what I would want out of a Lego Super Mario. But then I kind of get it. I, I grokked what they're what they're shooting for. Yeah. Heather, like, what, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to ask Heather what what your opinion about it is. Well, it feels like such a natural extension of sort of what was started with Amiibo, right? Uh, this is clearly right, yeah. this is clearly something that's just like a bunch of interesting pieces that you can make interact using like NFC tags and things like that. So the idea of moving that into a sort of different experience, a more tactile one, you know, I, I think a lot of folks had been wondering why you you didn't see a collaboration like this sooner and. 
you know, looking, looking at it now, it, it feels so natural. It's, it's, it just feels like a really perfect fit. I was pretty surprised by it. I don't know. I'm not somebody who really thinks too much about Legos anymore these days, even though I love Lego. Um, but seeing it, it, it does look fun, right? Like that's if the thing. Had, I think if you had put a gun to my head, you know, two weeks ago and said, are there super Mario Legos? I would have gone. Yes. I think there already are. Right. Uh, you know, I would have just, like you said, I would have su- assumed that this had happened in some way that was kind of, you know, banal and, and what you would expect. And just, yeah, I'm sure there's a, there's halo Legos, right. Or, you know, there's uh, overwatch Legos. I'm sure there's Mario Legos at some point, but I like that this is a little more special and feels like they're really, trying to make a big deal of do something really different with Lego, let alone with Mario, but it's really a different thing for Lego. Yeah. I think that's cool. I'm also glad that it's Lego because not, not everything is like we have, yeah. and I'm not trying to throw shade on other brands, but it's like we have these Pokemon. No, I, I accidentally and I, brought up Halo and I, and I, and my brain went, no, I think the Halo is like yeah, mega blocks. Or mega, something. Yeah. Like yeah. Halo, Call of Duty, Pokemon. Like there's another one and they're, they're, they're fine. They're, they're fine. But the problem is Lego has dominated this area for so long that it's like, well, the pieces are just like a little different. It, you know, it feels like uh, a knockoff instead of a compliment. So I'm excited to see where the collaboration goes. I'd love to see Metroid stuff. I think there's so much fun stuff that oh, they man. could do. So Metroid it just brought it would be wild, wouldn't it? Right. A little Samus. And I, I want like a minifig. I want a Samus minifig where you can take her helmet off. Ah, oh, come I on. I want it to be just like a giant like 15 story column <laughs> like you know you just move your way up it uh that would be rad uh so yeah lego super mario uh, is happening they they haven't released a or revealed a release date but one can only assume that whatever that would have been is going to be pushed back anyway what with the world as it is now but uh hopefully we'll see this relatively soon um my story of the week, boy, there's there's a lot of news, and I think we're going to do a little more news than we usually do, just because there's there's lots to talk about. Um, but Heather, you indicated a story that Kotaku broke, and I think it's an important one. Um, interestingly, there was I I don't know if you want to call it a whistleblower, but somebody at Naughty Dog that remained anonymous uh, that talked to Kotaku and um, talked about how the state of affairs at Naughty Dog is a little bit uh, rough for crunch time. And they've been in crunch time for a long, long time on The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, and this person really uh, talked about leaving because they feel that Naughty Dog uh, is no longer the best because Their reputation for crunch within LA is so bad, quote, it was near impossible to hire seasoned contract game animators to close out a project. Um, This is a long story, an in-depth one, and it is sourced to an anonymous source. So um, take that for what you will as well. But I'm sure that there was a lot of discussion at Kotaku about this. What is your feeling on it? Yeah. So just, I I will say that anything with an anonymous source tends to just be because you're protecting people from retaliation from like corporations, uh, obviously. Um, I think so Naughty Dog, this, this feels like it's been an open secret for ages, right? I think if you've talked to people in development, you know, I, in the course of my work, I do, but of course I have friends who just, I have friends who work at Blizzard. I have friends who work at Nintendo, um, you know, and everybody has 
crunch time or times where they put in extra work or where, you know, um, pipelines get jammed up and there's a lot of, you know, agile movement that really needs to happen. But when it comes to Naughty Dog, you know, in a, in a, you know, in a field full of companies that push themselves, Naughty Dog has always been the one that people have kind of set off to the side. They go, no, but they really, really push themselves. And, you know, that's partially reflected in their games, right? You see, you know, when this news broke, some people I saw on social media or other places said, well, of course, you know, they would have to crunch like this. This is how they get their games to look as good as they do. This is how you get, you know, the gameplay that you want. And yes and no, right? It's obviously there's talented people. Obviously, you know, this, the amount of work that goes into making a game like The Last of Us or Uncharted 4 is, you know, astronomical. But there are some structural things within Naughty Dog that make this a very particular issue. Uh, One of which is really that they don't have, um, like their approach to task management is a little weird to my understanding. I think this is reflected in the report as well, where, you know, there's not as many producers who are really spinning the plates. It's kind of teams taking on workloads as they deem necessary, kind of sneaking in the extra things that they want. Um, Obviously there are timetables or anything else and project managers, but there's a certain degree of autonomy to my understanding in Naughty Dog that that sounds great, but when you have so many different things that need to come together can actually be a problem without, you know, a lot of producers or kind of in this case, you know, they're losing a lot of seniors too. So you don't have people who can make those processes move faster. So it feels like something that's been slowly ramping up within the, um, you know, as a result of company culture and, and other factors for a while now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Christian, this is not unique to Naughty Dog. This is an industry-wide problem that we have talked about a lot over the years on the show about just how video games are made and how it churns up human beings. And uh, there is a lot of turnover and there is a lot of burnout. There is a lot of... um, crazy hour weeks that you hear about and these games that especially games that get delayed you hear about the you know people have structured their lives to get through a crunch period where you know and and crunch if people aren't aware listening is that period where everybody's working much more because they're trying to push get to the last you know push the game over the finish line and then you get these delays and that means that crunch now lasts three, six, eight months more than it would have. And they stay in that heightened workload state. Um, and, it, you know, it is not conducive to human comfort and, and sustainability. Um, what's your take on all this? So I should say up top, I don't think I can be objective here. Um, I'm sitting next to a Last of Us poster signed by that entire team. I am surrounded by vinyl albums of every single one of their games, more or less. Uh, I have a signed copy of the game on PS3, and I have, you know, many friends at the studio. And they are responsible for making some of my favorite games of all time. So I don't feel like I can be objective on this in any way, shape or form. I, I can say, I feel like I can say, I hope everybody there is, is happy and they're making choices that they are making willfully. I know that I have certainly 
and we've talked about this before, and now I'm backing up generally. I know I have certainly, you know, worked harder and longer on something than I would have because I wanted it to be right. I also know that there are times that um, I slept on the floor of my office when I was practicing law, not because I wanted to, not because I was trying to make it right, but because I had, you know, this hourly deadline that I had to do. So I had an extra shirt with me and an extra tie and I slept on one shirt for three hours and then got up and logged back into Westlaw and kept working. Right. And, and I, I left, <laughs> I, I, I left that practice, right. Um, uh, for very specific reasons. Um, and I don't know what the answers are. I think I appreciate, uh, these Kentucky story and stories similar to it, you know, Red Dead and the EA, I think it was the EA wives. I think is how that one, that letter came out, uh, many years ago. And they're prevalent in the film industry as well and animation and render, you know, like some of those things that you don't necessarily think about. Yeah. VFX industry is very, very much the same boat. Yeah. Yeah. And when it got expensive in the United States, a lot of it was then outsourced to other places that would do it more cheaply. And some veteran VFX houses were shut down. And I feel like now I'm backing it up even further. I, I, you know, we've talked about it before. I feel like some form of collective bargaining is is the only solution I can think of. But part of that is because I haven't been fully invested in the problem to spend a significant amount of my time trying to solve the problem. And I realize the hypocrite that that makes me. Um, but I think it's hard. And, and, I, and I don't know what the answer is because I know there are, you know, for stand-up, different field entirely. But if a big name comic backs out of a show, there are thousands others willing to do it, right? Like for little money, no money. And I imagine there's that a lot of that competitive nature in getting into games as well. And so I think part of the Kotaku article talked about how, you know, finding seniors was difficult because of that. And then you lose time because of training juniors and, and, and lost time and stuff. But I don't have answers. I, 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 I hope that it can be solved. And, and at this point, I guess I look for the people in the field to um, collect and, and organize themselves, or I look for leaders in, in, in the companies to, to lead by example and, and figure something out. I, I, and then maybe I need to spend more time thinking on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not easy. As you said, we've talked a lot about uni- unionization in the games industry. It's something that I'm hoping gains some traction. Um, but it's tough. You know, I, I think that there's something we can all relate to in this particular moment of human history where I'm guessing everybody that's listening to this that has the potential to work from home has been ordered to work from home in their jobs. And I think there's the thing that we can all relate to is this idea that you it's good when someone says everybody work from home, not if you want to work from home, you can, because then that becomes this litmus test, this feeling of like, well, Sally's working from home and I'm not. So does that mean she's a better employee than I am? Uh, is that how they're, I'm going to be perceived? Well, I better not work from home. And I think it's the same kind of thing where there's this not potentially not overt pressure to work beyond your normal human hours in a week, but this expectation and there's going to be some people that are doing it. So I got to catch up with Sally and, and work 60, 70 hours a week because I don't want to be perceived as the person that's not pulling my weight. And so sometimes it's not even, not even an overt command or a, 
specific mandate within the company to do this, but it can be just as destructive and hard to cope with. And that's why I think, you know, you got to have arbitration that lays out rules that are humane and decent and agreed upon by both parties and agreed upon by the workers to say, hey, this is what we're willing to put up with. And uh, in the absence of that, I think it, it can get really frustrating. And I'm sure there's a lot of naughty dog employees who read this article and were like, that's not my experience. That's not how I feel. I'm not mad. I'm not, I don't feel uh, resentful or, or whatever emotion you want to apply to this. And then there are probably a lot that are like, yes, oh, I'm so glad somebody said something. So it's complicated and it's an industry that is, that is going to have more of these stories before it's solved. And that's unfortunate because um, we don't want the quality of our games to go down because people are burnt out and we don't want the effect on the human beings to continue because that's untenable and difficult for everybody involved. So. I think honestly, the the best the best thing is is to shine light on it as Kotaku is doing, and and bravo for that. Yeah, I mean, I can speak to it like a slightly maybe a cousin of it. Like when I was an athlete in college, and not in our program, but in other sports at my same school, and then other programs where I had friends. You know, the NCAA did regulate the amount of hours that you could practice, and there were always programs and universities that didn't follow that but it wasn't mandatory it was like well if anyone you know i'm gonna be here with the light the, the tracks lights are gonna be on on wednesdays if anyone wants to go whatever you know and it's like yeah no uh, okay yeah uh, and then that person that is there becomes the team captain and it's hard it's really well, we've hard. we've talked about that with regard to like hey company drinks after work right i mean dr- drinks isn't a big you know, it's not, it doesn't feel like it's stressful and bad, but it's like, oh, well, I got kids. I can't go, but now am I a bad employee? Cause I got to go home to my kids and I hang out and have drinks and the, the fun having drinks after work thing. Like, does that, what make- conversations do I miss out on? So then yes. the whole next week, there's the inside joke of a oh, Rubik's cube. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, anyway, not to conflate two wildly different issues, but I think it's of a same of the same kind of feeling anyway. Uh, I want to thank our first sponsor for this episode, which is Third Love. Ah, Third Love, back as a sponsor, and I'm so, so glad. Third Love is the place to get great, comfortable bras. The best bras. My wife's favorite bras. I know your wife's favorite bras, Christian. Yes, 100%. Uh, In fact, I'm not making this up, and it just occurred to me that two days ago, we got a new Third Love box uh, on our front step. Uh, because my wife ordered more Third Love bras because she loves Third Love. It's the only bras she wears now. They offer the perfect fit, more sizes than any other brand, more than 80 sizes of Third Love bras, including their signature half cup sizes. And it's convenient. Hey, in the, in the time when we don't want to go out of the house, how great is it that you can not only purchase bras without leaving your house, but you can find your perfect fit without leaving your house. They have the fit finder quiz. You just have to answer a few simple questions and you find your perfect fitting bra. Over 14 million women have taken the quiz to date. It's actually fun to take. It takes less than a minute to complete and it's been honed. It's been, it's been uh, iterated upon with all those 14 million women to actually get the best results to have the perfect fitting bra. In fact, they have the perfect fit promise. Every single customer has 60 days to wear it, wash it, put their bra to the test, 
And if you don't love it, you can return it and Third Love will wash it and then donate it to a woman in need. How great is that? So even if you end up not loving your Third Love bra, which would be a surprise to my wife because she loves hers, uh, even if you don't, it's no risk to you. You can return it and it actually helps a woman in need. So that's pretty wonderful. Uh, fit stylists are available every day to help you via text, chat, or phone. If you want to make sure you have the correct fit or you have any questions, returns and exchanges are free and easy. And these are the most comfortable bras. They have uh, no slip material straps that that uh, that won't slip and tagless labels for no itching. They've thought of everything. And Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they are offering our listeners 15% off your first Order. Go to thirdlove.com slash DLC now. Find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash DLC for 15% off today. T-H-I-R-D-L-O-V-E dot com slash DLC. All right, we're going to stay in the news uh, a little bit because uh, there's a lot of stuff. In fact, some positive stories that I want to get to, including rumors, rumors, rumors of not one, but two new Silent Hill games. Um, There actually several places have reported on this rumor. So take that for what you will. It is still firmly in the rumor category, but this is uh, meant to be uh, considered a soft reboot of the Silent Hill franchise. It's just how I like all my reboots. I had a hard reboot once and I was like, it was, I couldn't chew it. You know, mm, it was yeah. just. It's the, hard to get, it's hard to swallow. It, it was leathery, swallow. you know, yeah, yeah. like. Uh, Sony's Japan studio is co-developing it uh, with Konami and supposedly. Wait, they're Kojima developing it? Well, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> parts of the story that this is the part of the rumor that I think is a little bit, yeah. let's say, embellished where that it's supposedly like a, an extending of the olive branch to Kojima. I, I, I don't, I find that hard to believe, but supposedly one of the projects is the silent Hills project, which Kojima was working on with Guillermo del Toro at a, at a certain point. Uh, but this other game is a full soft reboot of the franchise um, with the people that worked on siren blood curse um, and some of the folks that worked on the original silent Hill game so we don't have any hard information about this uh heather maybe you know something only I soft <laughs> only soft but what do you think are were you a silent hill fan are you a silent hill fan are you looking forward to more silent hill games is that something that would be a, a positive in your mind i think it would be interesting i think when rumors are going around you have to approach them very very carefully um yes. So, Not here. We just <laughs> sling them and get excited. And then well, we get disappointed later. When well, it, you know, because this is happening. And then I think today or yesterday there was, you know, a smaller enthusiast site reporting on something that somebody had said on 4chan two months ago about Sony's going to buy the rights to Metal Gear and they're going to hand that back over to Kojima or whatever. There's a lot of Kojima rumors. Tends to be a, a pretty popular guy with rumors. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, Ko- Konami. My thought here is that Konami's decisions have always felt very opaque to me to the sense, you know, to the point that I don't feel comfortable saying like, no, but also to the point where I want to, especially if this was another company, I'd kind of be like, okay, yeah, maybe for like, especially because it's Konami and especially because it is a, a rumor about, you know, 
the great white whale that people wish was made. I always approach it a little hesitantly. I would love to see it. I think there's a lot of folks now, you know, a lot of talent out there that could bring some really great things to that franchise. You know, that franchise was even heading into Silent Hill 3. And I think, you know, Silent Hill 4, The Room was really trying to define itself, but in that process was doing some very interesting things. I think horror is a very particular genre and the way that, you know, our fears and anxieties get expressed nowadays compared to, you know, what was in the zeitgeist of the time could mean that a new Silent Hill could be all over the place. Very, very cool. But for me, really approaching these rumors with uh, taking a lot of temperature checks beforehand. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think the, I, I really loved the first two Silent Hill games back in the day. I I think I have outgrown my desire for the, this franchise to come back to a certain extent. I think it'd be cool and interesting. As you said, it, it, it would be fascinating to see where they took it. If they really kind of got a little bold with, you know, in, in a kind of a resident evil seven type reimagining of what the franchise could be. I think that could be interesting, but I just, I'm just beyond looking forward to horror games at this point. I don't want to do it to myself as technology has increased and graphics have gotten better. I've gotten less interested in horror games. I liked the silent Hill games because it was mostly just fog and, uh, and then a little creature that would pop out that looked like a few polygons. But now Resident Evil 7 scarred me for life. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think this is cool in the abstract, but I, I don't need a new Silent Hill game personally. Christian, what is your take on Silent Hill reboot? Um, Two months ago, excited. <laughs> yeah. Right now, less so. I mean, I, we talked about it last week, even just with like The Division 2. I was very excited. I imagine I will still play more Warlords of New York because it is. Yeah, the a- Division 2 is now a documentary series, is my understanding. Yeah, a game I can grind through. Um, When we talk about games we're playing, uh, I can get into some of the other, you know, I would call comfort food games that I've kind of found myself playing. I think the franchise is important to a lot of people. So I am excited to see it come back. I think, um, you know, the work that Capcom's done with resident evil shows that with care and the right team and the right attitude, that type of reinvigoration to this once long, you know, dead or downward trending franchise can come back in a really, really big way both with the remake and resident evil seven. Um, and you know, thinking about it now, it's easy to forget what people thought about after resident evil six, you know, Oh yeah. People were not excited for that franchise. They wanted it to kind of go the way of a zombie, right. To shamble off. No, but, but that zombies, they, they always, they're always coming back. Christian, that's the thing about zombies is they never, it's hard. You can't kill them. They always stand back up. It, I stand by my zombie analogy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, And so I think and Silent Hill certainly had its ups and downs, but I think handled by the right team, given the right care. um, Yeah, I think it can be phenomenal. I think another great example is God of War. You know, I liked Ascension. A lot of people did not. They were ready for that franchise to... Uh, like a zombie, go away forever and easy to kill. Um, (laughs) One thing I know about zombies is... They'll go away forever. Eliminated just- by stepping on a dandelion. <laughs> uh, everyone knows how zombies operate. Well, just you have to, have to wait them out, and then they leave forever. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's all you got to do. Uh, time uh, takes care of it. Um, but I think so. I, <laughs> I think I, I, I think it's. I'm excited, and hopefully, it comes back great. 
unlike zombies who never come back. And I hope that uh, I hope it's well done and made by a team that cares about it and not. I mean, heck, look at Sonic Mania, right? I can list so many examples of franchises that did manage to do it well. And hopefully this is another one that I can add to that list. All right. One more news story I want to hit. And that is uh, this confirmation that Doom Eternal, which, man, next week, we, we, we're all playing it next week. Um, Doom Eternal, which is coming out on Stadia, will not actually be at 4K, not technically on Stadia, technically won't be 4K. Evidently, it'll be running at 1800p at 60fps and then upscaled, upsampled to 2160p. This is in contradiction to what was announced when they originally said that Doom Eternal was going to be on Stadia. Uh, If you're paying for your Stadia subscription as a founder, you're paying for 4K, which is what they announced, 4K at 60fps. And I guess... In one sense, you're getting a 4K resolution at 60 FPS. It's just being upsampled. It's not true 4K. I got to go to you first, Christian, because this is your baby. This is your. This just seems like another in a series of what Stadia? Come on, Stadia, right? Unlike zombies, Stadia bad news keeps coming back. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, I'm still a fan of the tech. I did cancel my, you know, I'm not currently subscribed. So I I guess I'm, you know, maybe there are many others like me that were founders and then did not uh, keep their auto resume. So now I'm in the free tier, right, where I can buy games that come out on it. Um, It's it's hard. It's troubling. It's annoying. I don't know what the problems are because I'm not a developer. I don't understand. But I, I do feel like I have, and I haven't looked it up, but I do feel like I have an image in my head of like, them saying 4k 62 like a you know really bombastic trailer um and it's it's disappointing it's hard for me to label it anything else heather how do you feel about this it it just feels like stadia we're still sitting at what like 22 games after how many months after launch at this point what what do you make of that yeah, so you know, I'm not I'm not somebody who was an early adopter. I I, I don't have Stadia. I don't, I don't even think I have a 4K uh, monitor. Much to the chagrin of some people, probably listening right now. But I understand the appeal, right? Because we have that in our office. And whenever I saw Stadia, at least at first, it was such an impressive thing, right? The way that it worked out was really great. And then it just sputtered, right? It just kind of sputtered. And I think, you know. On the list of things that might be a hindrance or, you know, an issue for some people, a lack of 4K, you know, some people might forgive that a little bit more easily, but not given everything else that's been kind of happening around the platform. I think this is just another little black eye, right? And, you know, if it was just one thing, one hiccup, I think people would be forgiving. But right now it's felt just like there's mounting problems, right? And I, I get that to an extent, right? You're kind of, you're pioneering, you, you know, seriously, a, a kind of new way to deliver games to people with real, you know, immediacy, and um, still kind of, you know, power and validity to the experience. But I think at this point, they need a victory, right? And this is just not it. 
Yeah, it's it's it continues to boggle my mind. I'm still fairly confident that there's going to be a grand relaunch of this service and there's going to be all of, you know they've acquired a bunch of really wonderful studios. They reportedly have been working on big AAA games. I mean Jade Raymond has been spearheading the studio for a while and we've heard not much about her efforts or her her moves uh, as far as um, games that will be coming out but one assumes that there will be a bunch or several uh and when that happens i kind of feel like we'll have to relook at stadia and and i think it'll seem much more interesting and much much more high profile and and top tier at that point but that leads me to think like why didn't they just wait to launch the whole service i get the idea of putting something out in beta for a long time, it's the Google way to test something. And certainly this, I'm sure they're getting a lot of data in, in putting it out in the wild to test how well this service, as you said, Heather, uh, unprecedented kind of thing. But man, it just feels like it could have all gone so much better and they would have not had to worry about a second chance to make a first impression if they just waited until they had more impactful exclusives or at least impactful day and date releases and a system that or a, a service that could actually do what they claimed it was going to do. And and I, I keep shaking my head, not understanding what the decision was to rush it out at this point, because it just doesn't feel like it's done them any favors at all. But we shall see if there will be uh, more Stadia announcements before the end of the year. This year is going to be really weird. And Hey, maybe, if there's no consoles, Stadia is how we'll all be playing games. You know, I don't know. Maybe a, a digital service when we all have to stay in our house for multiple months at a time is really the best way to go. Who knows? There's a lot of question marks for this year. What's not a question mark are all the games that we have been playing. And so let's jump into those. Lots of fun stuff to talk about. So let's get into the playlist. Ooh, what you playing this week? Tell us. Heather, I read your review of Neo 2. Uh, it was very entertaining review, and it got me very interested in the game because you were just raving about it. So can we start there? I want to hear about Neo 2. Yes. So I loved it. I loved Neo 2. Um, for folks who don't know, Neo uh, was, the first one was, I think, 2017, maybe 2018. I should know this. I just played uh, the sequel, and I, I'm it's my job to know these things. Um <laughs> But it's made by Team Ninja. It's sort of, um, you know, the thing that people had said before, you know, Sekiro came out was that it was Samurai Souls, right? It was set in um, Japan, kind of in a very magical uh, take on like the to the early like Tokugawa Shogunate. This is a prequel to the first, and it's fantastic. So there's a lot more weapons. Um, combat in this game is just is just very very good. Um, you have multiple different weapons, the stuff that you would imagine, samurai swords, you know, katanas and spears and, and everything else, but a couple other oddball options in there. And then each weapon, you can change your stance to a low, medium and high stance. It kind of reminds me if either of you are familiar with um, how they handled lightsaber fights in like Jedi Outcast and having, sure, yeah. and having different stances in that. And just having so many options to kind of choose from while you're playing a game like this is very important because at its at its heart 
you know, it's, it's kind of a spin on Dark Souls. And as much as I love Dark Souls, that's kind of a clunky game to play. And while this doesn't have the kind of interconnected worlds or maybe quite the same degree of moodiness as a Dark Souls, this definitely takes that core experience of exploring dangerous places, going up against, honestly, some very fantastic, very imaginative bosses, and just kind of streamlining that out. It's, it's really great. I haven't, it, it takes a lot to make me really praise a thing, which sounds, I don't mean that to say that I don't praise things, but I mean, like, it takes a lot for me to say that this thing is excellent, right? That's a word that you shouldn't use too often because otherwise it loses meaning. Meaning, um, I, I think that playing Neo 2, that moment to moment experience is excellent. Well, that that's high praise indeed. And, and you said that the combat is very good. Uh, the line that I, to, did a double take in your review is uh, quote, there's no other way of saying it. I've never played a game where fighting feels as good as this. Yes. I mean, it. I, mean I mean, it. that is high praise. Never played a game where fighting feels as good as this. Wow. I feel, you know, I have so much understanding after a while of how my character is going to move. There's a rhythm to the combat. Sekiro comes close because, you know, parrying in Sekiro almost has like a percussion to it. Like you're almost playing a rhythm game or, or you're a drummer or something. This feels a little bit um, more blown out and expanded. You know, you are you have to time your steps to get stamina back. You have to swap between stances. There's a lot of management going on, but it flows in and out of, you know, each little piece flows in and out very, very nice. Um, It's kind of like, I don't know, to keep on mixing metaphors, if I'm looking at the game, you know, it's like looking at the inside of a clock and you can see all these individual pieces that kind of add up to this really great whole. Um, I think some games try that and it doesn't always work. So for example, I love the surge and, uh, especially the surge too, which is kind of a futuristic take on, um, on this genre. And that big thing there is, you know, in that game, it's limb dismemberment and that plays into a system of gathering gear from enemies. And that's cool, but it, it doesn't feel as, um, as well integrated as some of the stuff that Neo does where, it just feels really, um, I think daunting at first. I think I will say that this game is terrible at tutorializing, but, but, uh, but which is not what you want to hear when you're talking about a hyper difficult action game. But if you really stick with it, gosh, it's, uh, it's really fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that was going to be my next comment or question. I, I should say, uh, is that you are someone that really has a ton of experience in this particular kind of game and, you know, which I think makes your opinion of this game even more uh, exciting. But I wonder if you feel like this game, do you see its um, its excellence because you ha- are steeped in the nuance of all these other games that are similar to it? Or do you think that a, a, a more neophyte would still appreciate the, how tight the combat is and how great it is. You, you know, do you understand my question? Yeah. Is, it, is it great by comparison or is it just great? I think it's both. I, that, so that's a very difficult question. And I think it's one that you consider when you're writing, you know, a piece of criticism or, you know, you know, broadly, you know, consumer review or anything like that. And I think it's good 
in the context of its genre, but I also just think it's a good game. Um, that said, you know, I am somebody who, you know, despite the fact that people say, oh, games journalists, like, oh, easy mode or whatever. It's like, no, I play games on hard mode all the time. Like I play games to completion. That's the job. And so, you know, my experience of what is or is not, um, you know, hard or, 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 you know, approachable sometimes is a little skewed the same way that, I don't know, you eat a lot of spicy food and things don't taste as spicy compared to people who don't. Right, um, right. It's actually a great analogy. Right. So, so I think, you know, if this is not a genre that you've engaged with a lot, jumping into it will be really, really daunting. There are some tools for that. You're able to um, play with other uh, players if you would like. You can kind of summon them into their into your world, Dark Souls style. They can also leave down little marks within the world that allow you to um, play alongside like an AI version of them. So you have tools and options, but um, you know, if, if you're not somebody who who's really into things that demand a lot out of your reflexes, I think it would be a little bit of a harder sell. I still think it's a really, um, really well put together game, a little cheesy uh, when it comes to the story and stuff, but I still liked that too, right? It, It had a lot more heart. I think the first game was one of those things where you see something making an attempt and it, and it's on to something, but hasn't quite figured it out yet. I think this feels like a refinement that very much gets to, you know, the heart of what the original was maybe trying for and fell a little shy of. Christian, I know you were very excited about Neo too. Are you, uh, are you eating this up? It sounds great. It sounds like they've made, you know, improvements are built upon the fundamentals that I think the first game had as a minor nit, I have not played this. Um, but it always bothers me when it's a sequel that's a prequel. Does that make, does that make sure. sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it's a two, but it came first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get you. And like, I appreciate Resident Evil uh, doing Resident Evil Zero, you know? <clears throat> Excuse yeah. me. Like, I don't know <laughs> what else you do. At- negative. Negative ten. one. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Negative one. Um, but I do like that this, fran- that this is a franchise now, because I think it is, dare I say, an important one. And I think it's important for from software to have other players in this field. And it was fun to see respawn kind of dip their toe into it with um star wars but i like that neo it, it feels you know more like a sibling to what from software is doing instead of like a the way that every game now is an rpg <laughs> you know um i think we'll start seeing every game being a little from software at some point but i, I like that this franchise is continuing and, and it sounds like everything about this game is, is better than the previous one so what else is on your playlist, Heather? So it is a busy, busy month. So this is like review sprint time for me. So I go straight to Doom after this, and then I go straight to Resident Evil. So there's not a lot of downtime for me. The comfort food, of course, and will always be every time you ask this question, Final Fantasy fourteen. It's just yes, fantastic. Yes, I've been reading your, your Twitter feed. <laughs> yeah. is uh, just a constant. Uh, it's very delightful to read your yeah. uh, your interesting takes on the big <laughs> thing. The big thing right there is there's... Um, a thing right now where players are rebuilding a city that was destroyed in a previous expansion. And I'm pretty sure they're eventually all the players are going to make it. So they're building a housing ward where players can actually have their own, you know, cottages or apartments or things like that. But it's a very cool collaborative effort. I mean, I play a lot of competitive games. I still hop on to like team fortress two servers sometime. Although now it's like, just like 
quick play and stuff. It's a little different than it used to be. So being able to participate in something that's collaborative is really nice. I'll probably end up writing about it this week. It's just a really good feeling, especially in these times after with everything else that's happening, just to be able to take place in a, an experience that feels pretty communal, especially when you're probably stuck at home. It's pretty good. I, I think that's such a cool way to introduce a big feature like that. If, if that's indeed what they're doing, because the idea of, you know, a, a new MMO dropping an expansion where you can do new cool stuff is great. But the idea of building that and having the player base actually feel like they did it, made it happen that you came together and you built this stuff. And then all of a sudden it's got a result that is a new feature that you can take advantage of. It seems like such a neat idea if i'm reading that correctly yeah i think a lot of the players are excited housing not to ramble too much about ff14 but housing is a very tricky situation in that game there are moguls who buy up entire neighborhoods in certain other places so having it's a thing that people want is they want to be able to have their own homes much like in real life people want to have homes Um, so the idea of maybe building together uh and making that a little bit more possible for everybody i think it's really nice well, you shouldn't worry about spending too much time talking about Final Fantasy fourteen. We I, I get emails all the time. Why aren't you guys talking about Final Fantasy fourteen? It's so great. You know, I'm just not I'm just not playing it. I'm not I never Yeah, of course. It's a commitment. Yeah, for sure. Um all right, Christian Spicer, you and I uh, both been playing the same game. Let's let's uh, thank our sponsor first and then we will get into Ori and the Will of the Wisps. But first I want to thank our second sponsor, Ritual. Um, this is a, a you know show for the, the, the two women sponsors, which is I, I love that. I love that they um, they know that our audience is uh, diverse that way. Uh, Ritual is vitamin a, a subscription to vitamins for women, and these are not just any vitamins. By the way, I just went on and on about my wife. She also subscribed to Ritual. Uh, she did our uh, our sort of trial. Um, bottle of ritual vitamins. And she's like, I'm, uh, I'm subscribing to these. This is great because ritual are obsessively researched vitamins for women. What does that mean? Well, it gives you all the nutrients that most of us don't get enough from food all in one, uh, clean, absorbable form. And there's no shady additives or ingredients. Basically the creator of ritual was somebody that was really label conscious on the food that they ate and realized that they didn't really think that way about the vitamins that they took. And so she decided to create ritual and be just as conscious about the things that went into her vitamins as the things that went into her food. It's pretty wonderful. And it, it is really a, a, um, a well thought through product in the sense that a lot of these, uh, these, these multivitamins for women, they, they have omega-3s and sometimes they can have a little fishy smell. Ritual comes with a little mint to make sure you don't get that fishy aftertaste, that fishy uh, you know smell that comes with a lot of omega-3s. Pretty clever, pretty smart. They have a no-nausea capsule uh, and the, the design of their capsule is, is gentle on an empty stomach. It's pretty great. It's traceable and transparent. That means for people that are obsessive about labels, all of Ritual's ingredients are vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, 
allergen-free, and all of their sources are out there for the whole world to see. It's pretty great. It's delivered right to you, so you don't have to worry about forgetting to get a, a bottle or forgetting to keep up with your vitamins. It's great. Better health doesn't happen overnight, and right now Ritual is offering listeners of DLC 10% off during their first three months. Fill in the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. Visit ritual.com slash DLC to start your ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash DLC. That's R-I-T-U-A-L dot com slash DLC. All right, Christian, uh, let's get into it. We've both been playing Ori and the Will of the Wisps, which is a game that I know you have been very much anticipating. Uh, you loved the first game. I somehow bounced off of it a bit. Uh, I appreciated it. I know it. I why. I was... You had to escape that tree, and it's very difficult, and it's not that far into the game. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, you got to bounce off a lot of stuff in that game. Um, but like a, like a zombie... It shambled off. <laughs> no, it came back uh, in a, with a sequel. And uh, this one, well, tell me what you think of Ori and the Will of the Wisps uh, and what you've been playing on. Are you playing it on Xbox One or PC? I am playing on Xbox One, uh, my Xbox One S, not on PC. Um, I think that you've probably played more than I have. I have been very excited for this game. Um, but I've had a hard time sitting down and playing games um, recently and kind of having that focus. Um, but I have been playing some with my kids watching and they've really enjoyed it. The, my older daughter helped me, like I missed a secret. And she's like, you can break that wall. And I was like, there's something over there. And she's like, try. And sure enough, there's, you know, a secret in there. So it's great. Good eyes, kid eyes. <laughs> you gotta have kid eyes. On I'm games. just kind of glazed over. Um, so I'm not, I'm not very far into the game at all. I should mention it is on Game Pass. Um. Uh, so do yeah. game do game pass. <laughs> do game pass do game pass easy to say over 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 and over again um so this game where i am as far as i am into it maybe three hours not far not far um it is stunning absolutely beautiful it yeah feel- my question to you christian is um beautiful game or the most beautiful game you know it, i think it might be one of the most beautiful games ever made so I, I want to fire up the original again, because as I am playing this, I purposefully, or just for time, I did I have not replayed the original since I played it. And in playing this now, it it this feels like it could be Super Mario Galaxy 2 to me, where I'm not sure what it's doing that the first one didn't do. And I could just, in chat, or someone online yell at me and, and remind me, feel free to spoil it from the first game, because I've forgotten, so it'll be a spoiler again. I don't I don't know why I don't have all my powers. Because by the end of the first game, I was doing some pretty amazing stuff. And I forget if there was like, I reset the world and everyone was fine. I honestly do not remember. I don't even think the, the game cares to make that distinction. There's just like, well, here's a new game, new story. You're worried. I, I think you know, so. You know. I think so. So I, I do. I love it. I, I love it a lot. But it's like, and I'm not trying to diminish it at all. I, I mean, this in a maybe perhaps the way I. I don't know. It feels like, you know, when you have a favorite sandwich and then you get it again and you're like, yes, this is my favorite sandwich. That's how I feel right now. It, it feels beautiful. It's stunning. It, I, I don't know if it's visually more impressive than the first game. In my mind's eye, I've conflated the two and that this is how the first one looked. And the only thing holding it back right now is that playing on an Xbox One S, even where I am in the game, 
there are performance issues and I know they're working on a, or I have read they're working on a patch to it. Um, but it, it frustrates me a little bit and it frustrates me a little bit that the reload isn't quite as fast as I'd like it to be when I die. But I imagine that's because it's a much more complex game than something like Celeste or N plus, you know, or some of those games that are very retro in their design. Um, so I hope they, they patch the frame rate issue. Cause I don't know what you're playing it on, but a game that requires precision at times, it is frustrating to have things seemingly go into, you know, 14, 18, like visible frame slowdown. I'm playing on Xbox one X and I have not had that happen. I have had a moment where it'll like everything will stop for a second and then it'll keep going, but it hasn't caused me any deaths or problems. The biggest, my biggest complaint about the game is that it does something weird when it loads the map. When you move to the map screen, any other menu, if you go into, you look at your powers and stuff, instant. But if you look at the map, there's like a second or a half a second delay. And because I'm popping in and out of the map in games like this so much, especially later in the game, when you're really trying to figure out how do I get back to that area I need to go? It's a Metroidvania, right? So you're backtracking a lot, going, you get new powers, you can get to a new place that you couldn't get to before. I'm popping in and out of that map a lot, and that extra second or half a second even, it just gets so annoying. And I know that's champagne problems, but it it is weird and frustrating a bit. Yeah, I hope but, that gets patched as well. I, I probably should play it, try it on PC, but because I want to play it, it's a great game my kids can watch as well. I want to play it, you know, on the TV with them out there. Um, I hope it gets fixed because it is. It's it's little things like that that I feel like again, this is probably going to be on my top five of the year. You know, it, it well, is incredible, but there are a few nits. It makes me wonder what was wrong with me the first time around. Because I think this game is a masterpiece. I I mean, Heather was just talking earlier about wanting to use the word excellent more rarely and make it special. And here I am dropping masterpiece on this game. But I do think that I, I remember I interviewed the the uh, creative director, uh, I think two E3s ago. And he's like, you know, we're not just trying to make a sequel. We're really trying to make a game that will go in the game hall of fame. And I was like, I, that I love that level of ambition like why wouldn't every time out you're trying to get a grand slam you know not just a home run but a grand why not why not i loved him saying that and i feel like they got real close to a hall of fame type uh quality yes there are some technical things that are a little frustrating hopefully those will get patched but every other data point every other metric you would have uh, i would have for a game like this for this game it's just off the charts quality wise. It's, it's utterly stunning to look at sumptuous, beautiful. The music is wonderful. The way the camera works, these subtle little camera zooms and pans to subtly show you what, where you need to go next. And when you get to a new area or where, a, a, a an objective is how the, the game looks, the the layers of visualization that are happening, the animation, everything is just so meticulously animated and beautiful, vibrant and colorful. Different sections of the map look differently. I have played uh, a lot of hours of this already. I am I'm real far into it. Christian, have you gotten Bash yet? No. Do you get 
is the first game have bash i don't i don't remember okay <laughs> I, don't, I played it you, know, you is, remember i played it right when it came out and never went back bash is when you can uh you can latch onto an enemy's projectile and let it propel you in a direction okay like, did the first did you remember if the first game had i that? think so but i honestly do not remember but I know that traversal changed quite a bit as you played, you know, the way you oh, do it around. Oh, man, dude. I I was in love with this game before I got Bash. Got, I mean, there's – I'm like three things beyond that now as well. But it just it just like broke my brain. And I know a lot of games have been doing stuff like this. And I, I this is not my genre, this sort of precision platformer thing that Christian really loves. And I often am not particularly excited about. I know despite all his protestations, I never gave – celeste a try and i know a lot of people are frustrated by that because a lot of people call that a a masterpiece i think it took a game that looks like ori to to get me to do this and it's also not just a platforming game it's a combat game the combat system is actually really really cool the upgrades are amazing and the level design is so awesome i mean i i just did a thing where you're rotating the entire world and the the feeling the feeling of accomplishment in this game and again i know there's a lot of people who love these games that are laughing at me and saying i'm late to the party i get it cuz i know you feel that sense of accomplishment in a lot of games like this but for some reason it clicked with me with ori and the will of the wisps where i would never in a lot of these games attempt to get an optional thing uh but in this game i'm constantly trying to get the optional thing because the the pure mechanics of getting to it is so joyous and I'm flinging myself and then at the last minute catching a projectile and pushing myself and then using grapple to swing and narrowly missing. It's just, and then I get to the thing and I'm like, yeah. And the, the upgrades really feel impactful. I think that is one of the biggest keys in games like this to get me to try something over and over and over again, try a very particularly difficult bit of platforming over and over and over again is to have the reward system, the upgrade path, the optional bits and bobs that I can add to my character actually feel useful and substantial. It's not just, oh, you got plus three now instead of plus two. It's like, well, that, I mean, I complained about that with control and other games where it's like, I don't, have a sense of that actually impacting me in a visceral way, in a tangible way. But I saved up 2,200 space bucks or whatever it is, you know, gold wispy things in Ori. And I bought myself triple jump. And now I have triple jump instead of just double jump. And it's amazing. It feels incredible. And I'm like, yeah, it was worth saving up all that stuff and not buying other less expensive things along the way. And I, it made me want to go and get all the little glowy wispy things that were hidden in behind spaces and figure out how to get to them because I was working for that goal. And when I got to that goal, it really felt impactful and awesome. So this game is blowing me away. The combat system, there are chase sequences that are thrilling and white knuckly and, 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 uh, you know, as good as anything in uncharted, <laughs> you know, it's, it is really a, a very very good game and i am in love with ori and the will of the wisps ah man I, what a perfect time to fall in love with the game because you know stuck at home 
and not working on things <laughs> anymore that I should be working on that used to take up a lot of my time. And uh, now I've got this incredible game that I think about when I'm not playing it. I want to get back to. I'm so excited to see what happens next and what wonderful, beautiful creature I'll encounter and what new section of the map, what it looks like and how it feels and what new surprises it has in store for me. So, or in the Will of the Wisps, um, I, I'm just in love with it. I, I agree with you, Christian. It'll be, who knows what the rest of the rest of the year brings, but I will be hard pressed to not have this in my top five. Yeah, and the audio design too, and the music I find is is really sharp and complements what's happening on screen. It's it's a stunning achievement. It's it's a phenomenal game, and I hope that they're able to iron out the little you know frame rate hiccups across the board. And, and I think because then the, it will be in a lot of people's <laughs> favorites of the year. I mean, there are combat challenge sh- shrines where you're not doing any. Well, that's not true. There's a little bit of platforming in them, but mostly you're not doing any platforming. You're just in the combat system and the combat system I find to be thrilling and fun. And so visually, um, it gives you such great visual feedback for every moment. And I know exactly what I, what I should be doing and how I did that wrong. And, um, all the cool little upgrades that I can get to change up my build. I mean, a game like this where I'm swapping in and out of builds for different moments, like, oh, I need some damage mitigation, so I'm going to swap in my spirit for damage mitigation to go up against this cool challenge. Oh, no, you know what I need now? I need to stick to walls, so I'm going to swap in my wall sticky, or I'm going to swap in my my orb-gathering magnet spirit effect because I know that if I kill something, I'm not going to be able to get anywhere near the orbs. They're just going to fall uselessly, and I want to collect them, so swap that in. I'm like thinking about builds as I play and builds are dynamic. I'm not just sticking to one. That is so rare for me in games like this In role-playing games. Yes. Changing up my builds or my equipment, but in a platforming game, it's really so good. I'm, I'm just in love with this game. Yeah. It's very good. All right. Well, we need to thank our third sponsor, which is quip. Oh, I love my quip. My, we have three quips in my house, in fact. You know, talk about taking care of yourself, staying clean. We're talking about washing hands a lot, which is very, very important. Wash your hands. But all hygiene, you know, don't ignore it, especially when you're staying home a lot. It's easy to forget to brush your teeth, but you got to brush your teeth. In fact, the best way to brush your teeth is with my quip. I love brushing my teeth with my quip because it takes all the work out of my brain, <laughs> out of my brain, I don't have to worry about going for the full dentist-recommended two minutes because the Quip vibrates. It's got gentle, wonderful, sensitive vibrations and a built-in timer that pulses every 30 seconds and then turns itself off after two minutes. I love it. I love it so much because I don't have to think about it. And it ensures that I'm actually brushing my teeth for the amount of time that I should be, which I got to be honest, probably didn't do before I had a Quip. Because you didn't mind wanders, you don't think about it. You're like, ah, this is probably fine. But with a quip, I know I'm doing it. Plus, I'm on a subscription, so the dentist recommended three months where I would want to replenish, replace the bristles on my brush. Probably never did that in my life either. But now I do because quip sends me a new packet with a new brush head that's super easy and slick to replace, a new battery for my uh, for my quip. And new toothpaste. It's great. It's so, so great. you got to check this out. It's sleek. It's slick. It's the, it's the 21st century version of brushing your teeth. 
we really have perfected it with Quip. I absolutely love it. Your oral care matters. So ditch the gimmicks. Grab a Quip. Quip starts at just 25 bucks. You'll get your first refill free at getquip.com slash DLC. It's a simple way to support this show and start brushing better, but you have to go to getquip.com slash DLC and get your first refill for free. Go right now. Getquip.com slash DLC. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash DLC. Okay, well, that's really what I've been playing. I mean, it's just been constant that game. I've been, I've been obsessed with it, uh, but we have lots of games on the horizon and, and I'm still, you know, I still want to go back to uh Wilson Lords of mayhem, which has been stellar, but you're right, Heather. There's like this, we're about to be shot out of a, a cannon here with all the games that are coming. Uh, it's going to be crazy. I am very excited. (laughs) (laughs) What would you say is your most, uh, the game you're most looking forward to of the games that are, that are in the next, I don't know, three months. So I really want to get my hands on resident evil three. I actually think that that's, you know, the original is maybe the best of that entire series. And I, you know, I reviewed the resident evil Two remake last year, really enjoyed that. But I don't know. There was something about it that felt like maybe it could have had a little bit more. And I think the answer to a little bit more is just uh, make it even scarier. And the idea of, you know, that game is just really nemesis chasing you down. And and all of the things I've seen from it is just more intense. Like, that's it for me. I used to not even be a horror game person. Uh, The first, you know, I I played Resident Evil 7 for our website because nobody else would play it, right? Because everybody else was like, I don't know if I want to play the first person scary zombie game. And I was like, oh, word, I'll go. And (laughs) and now I'm just hooked, right? Like, I think Capcom's done really phenomenal things with the series. I think Christian was saying that earlier. So for me, I'm really excited. And then next week, you know, I have to dive right into Doom and that'll be, I'll be curious to see how that goes. I like Doom 2016. I will say in retrospect, Doom 2016, it's maybe like four hours longer than it needs to be. So I want to see how they kind of manage the uh, the balance and the pace of, of this one. So there's like two really good things happening this month. So I'm, I'm walking on clouds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it, 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 it's half-life alex is like i, I oh yeah I'm just counting down the days for that it's gonna be like what more perfect game to block out the horrors of the world than to be in vr and just like yeah, just take me away take me away valve take me away but christian i know you loved uh the last doom and i think we're both super excited about doom eternal do you have any is there any other game that's like your Calgon take me away game in the next couple of months. I'm very excited for Doom. I'm I'm curious if uh if I'm being honest here, I'm curious if I'm emotionally going to be ready for it. Um yeah. I don't know. Uh, I have it coming on PC and I'm very excited for it. By have it coming, I mean like it will download on my PC. <laughs> That's a silly old thing to say. I have it coming on PC. Um I think right now where I am right now today as we were recording this, I am getting very excited for Animal Crossing. I think yeah. Animal Crossing is going to be a wonderful game and and I followed it. We've talked about it on the show, but I still I, I want to spend a little bit of time wrapping my head around shared islands and stuff like that. Cause again, I think it will be a um an incredible game for my kids to play with their friends and cousins and a really great way to be communal in a time that, you know, we aren't able to in the normal ways. 
And then, because all the games are this month, the first story expansion for Control is later this yeah. month. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's called The Foundation, I think. Yeah. Right? So while I'm very excited for Doom, uh, and I'm going to play Doom, I, I think, for me, I, I want to get back into that world. I want to play as Jesse some more. I, I, I want to see how medium and expansion it is and, and where they build and how they build on the story. I purposefully have not been following the story, you know, expansion. If they, I don't know if there are spoilers out there or a uh, story trailer or whatever, but I'm curious, like, is it late game? Is, is it after the conclusion of the game? Is it in the middle? Like, how do they spin that up? Um, so those to me are the biggest. And then Half-Life Alex, I, I, I can't believe it's here, right? Like it's, right. it's so very close and I'm curious how I'm going to be able to play it in my little space, but I feel like it's the reason I have a link cable. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh man. Right. We, we got a lot to look forward to. So ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be with you in your ear holes for as long as we can. Uh, and hopefully we'll all, you know, hunker down, play lots of video games and get through all of this together. Uh, we want to be, you know, we want to be a source of positivity and fun and uh, escape if you need that. Uh, but we're we're going to take all of this seriously. Uh, we do have parting gifts coming up. We're wrapping up here, but, you know, stick around for those. And Heather Alexandra, it is always such a delight to talk to you. Thank you so much for making time to do this. Thank you for having me. Where can people keep up with you and the things you do online? Well, you can always go to Kotaku.com to see some of the stuff I'm working on. This month, it's going to be a lot of reviews. I'm working on a huge piece on Metal Gear Solid 2. It's part of the retrospective series I'm doing. I'm getting close to like 10,000 words or something. Really big piece. Um, You know, my my new position, I'm senior writer now at Kotaku, which means I have a little bit more time to invest in the long-term projects, which is really, really nice. So hopefully that'll be coming Um, maybe not by the end of the month because, and I don't know if I'll still have it, but I technically still have jury duty. So I might, I might, I might lose a little bit of time if they really do make me still do that. Um, But otherwise you can find me on Twitter at, at trans gamer think, but otherwise just head to Kotaku. You'll see my stuff on there. Very cool. Somehow I think that jury duty isn't going to (laughs) happen. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Christian Spicer. How about you? What do you got going on? Twitter's the easiest way at Spicer. Um, and then I, I have no firm plans, so I will say it publicly to maybe do it. I also kind of like the idea of um, creating just like a very chill hang for uh, our audience to hang out and game and, and blow off steam together. I don't know if that's a Minecraft server or I honestly haven't. I still play Fortnite from time to time, but I'm not sure how private islands work there. But just something like that, like a shared social space where we can get together and, and play and be distracted for a little while. So I'm going to look into that. Um, and then if any parents out there are listening, have um, like uh, educational resources for kindergarten and primary school age kids, I'd love to start a thread on the subreddit, maybe sharing that stuff for parents that are at home with kids now trying to keep them occupied and educated. Yeah, and no I, joke. I can kick that off with some stuff that I've seen, but if someone else wants to jump on there first and do it, you know, let's, let's, let's do that. Let's build a better community yeah. together. Agreed. I think this is a wonderful time to come together and realize that we're all on the same planet. We all got to live together and we can all help each other and do the right thing right now. The right thing is staying home. Don't, don't, you know, social distancing is important and it works and we need to all do our part for that. So I hope everybody listening is taking that seriously and as we know, video games can help. 
Uh, hopefully listening to podcasts can help. We want to help you as in, in any way we can. Um, you can always email us and let you know, let us know what, what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're worried about, anything that you'd like. Uh, we're at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Um, I'm on Twitter at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I have a, a couple of other shows that you can check out as well. If you want to spend more time with me in your ear holes, uh, I do a movie and TV show podcast called the Slash Filmcast, which is going to get real weird real fast because there's no movies. <laughs> so uh, we were supposed to be doing um, The Quiet Place Part 2 next week, but we're all living The Quiet Place Part 2. So that movie's not coming out. And so we're going to do some weird stuff. We're going to start going down rabbit holes of older things. And I think the show is going to actually get really interesting. So I hope you check it out at SlashFilmcast.com. And also The Dungeon Run is my live play Dungeons and Dragons show. If you find yourself with a whole bunch of extra time now, boy, I have something to recommend. Uh, if you want to catch up, on, if you want a show that'll give you a hundred plus hours of, I think, very high quality entertainment, a really cool story that I made up. These players are improvising their way through. It's really cool. It's high quality. We have animatronic puppets. Try the Dungeon Run. You can find it on YouTube by searching for the Dungeon Run. You can find it as an audio podcast by uh, searching for The Dungeon Room wherever you get podcasts. Um, we might be doing something different. I, we don't know exactly yet what's going to happen on Wednesday nights in caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. But I can tell you this. Last week, we did a special charity episode. And we put up these incredibly awesome, high-quality materials that dog might created for us a custom wooden beautiful custom wooden uh dm screen these custom dice roll boxes and they're all on ebay and everything every single penny of the sell price is going to go to charity uh, each of the players and myself picked our own charities mine is a saint jude's children's research hospital so the dm screen uh the the sell price that entire sell price is going to go to to saint jude's so i urge you to check that out you can find those auctions they're still live um I think for three more days as of, re- as of this recording, you can still find them at the dungeonrun.fandom.com. So check that out if you're interested in very cool. Just, just look at how awesome they are. They're really, really neat. All right. That's going to do it. We've got a parting gift so, coming up. So let's uh, wrap the show up with that. Hey, give us a suggestion. Heather, do you have a recommendation to uh, help people get through their week is what I always say, but now it feels like even bigger. Yeah. So (laughs) two things. Um, One is games adjacent, which is, uh, I'll say very quickly, the new season of the Castlevania on Netflix came out, I think maybe a week and a half ago, or maybe two weeks now at this point, if you haven't seen it, I really like it. I think that show started off um, trying to find itself and has really developed into something really interesting. And the animation is incredible. So if you really just need to binge something, it's right there for you. Go for it. And then um, if you still have time, uh, especially before you go into lockdown, uh, why don't you try grabbing a plant? Uh, I I didn't think that they were that big of a uh, a deal, but if you're not somebody who, you know, if you don't have pets or if you don't have family or something, this sounds more depressing. The pitch was not meant to be this depressing. <laughs> Having some, have something that you tend to have something that gives you routine. It's, it's been really nice, especially if you're in a city where you 
definitely don't have spaces. I have my plant. I have a cat that visits me out on the fire escape. It's nice. Uh, take time for yourself to, to have things right now that, um, go at a little bit of a slower pace, I think would be my suggestion. That's lovely. I appreciate that. Yeah. Very good. Uh, Christian Spicer. How about you? You got a parting gift? Well, piggyback on the Netflix Castlevania, and I keep forgetting to mention it that I am playing it, but Symphony of the Night came out on iOS and iPad OS, whatever it's called now. I'm playing it on my iPad with my 8-Bit-O controller via Bluetooth. It's great. Symphony of the Night, who knew that was still a good game? Um, and it has a continue feature, which is a convenient way to play on mobile where I think you can get interrupted. I've heard the touch controls are good, but I haven't tried them. Uh, and I keep forgetting to mention it. Uh, as parting gifts, I would recommend journaling. I think as people, you know, with isolation or social distancing, it can be hard um, mentally sometime. And so I think whether it's first thing in the morning or during the day and different things work for different people, um, you know, controlled breathing or whatever, but I find journaling and having a place to write things down and get them out is very helpful and therapeutic. Um, so I'd recommend that, share that gift with others. And then also I'd recommend creating small text groups with various friends and or family members and check in on people from time to time and allow them to be silly and go where they go and talk about silly things from time to time. The one I have with my brothers and my parents this evening's um, text to them was just saying hello to everyone. Little update here. Amanda cooked some steak tonight and my daughter was very excited. Meet. We never have meat at home. She then made a series of slurping noises. Um, <laughs> and then we, we played off of that for a little bit. So I encourage our listeners to do the same. Find that close group of friends, family members, and check in on them from time to time. And, uh, you know, keep it light when possible. Yes, I think these are all wonderful uh, ways to get through a very trying time. I would add uh, one of my own which is uh, we have some across the street neighbors who are quite elderly and my wife uh, and I went over and knocked on their door and just, we stood six feet away as they opened it. But we said, uh, if there's anything you need any any way we can help, if we need, if you need us to go to the store for you or buy anything, uh, please let us know. And the, uh, the elderly gentleman came out and gave my wife the biggest hug with tears in his eyes uh, which probably, you know, wasn't the safest thing for him to do, but uh, it was a very powerful moment for us. So, uh, you know, I, there's a lot of this, this crisis is hitting the most vulnerable and uh, the most elderly uh, among us the hardest. And so, uh, you know, think about the people in your community, maybe that you can, if you have extra time, extra resources, extra ability to help, they'll probably appreciate it. All right, we have a parting gift from a listener. This is from Alex Solman. Alex says, here's a quick parting gift, suggestion aimed primarily at us parents. As a professional creative who's been lucky enough to have spent the last 20 plus years making video games, I spent a lot of time thinking about how to ensure my kids to be creatively curious as they grow up. To that end, I have taken immense inspiration from the podcast Off Camera with Sam Jones. A long-form conversation between an incredibly well-prepared presenter and fascinating artists, including actors, directors, musicians, and athletes. Off Camera is a show that frequently dives into the struggles creative people have as they journey deep into their craft from child to adulthood. It has helped me think about how I can both inspire and tackle different creative scenarios with my own rapidly growing kids. 
If I could recommend a couple of the 200 plus episodes, it would be episode 15, Matt Damon, episode 87, Ricky Carmichael, episode 218, Liz Fair. The podcast is available for free on the usual platforms. Sam's website, offcamera.com, features video versions of East Conversation available via individual purchase or monthly subscription. Please check them out and support a wonderful, insightful format. Keep up the good work. Uh, I'm a forever fan. Oh, thank you, Alex. Cool. I was not aware of this one, so I'm going to check out Off Camera. It sounds great. Off Camera with Sam Jones. I'll just add one more of my own uh, parting gifts. Uh, Hulu on FX, or excuse me, strike that, switch it. FX on Hulu. Uh, FX on Hulu has been uh, knocking it out of the park. I recommended Devs last week. I want to talk about Dave. If you need a laugh, and boy, I think all of us could use one right now. I am loving this show. It's called Dave. Uh, it's kind of, I imagine it like, what if uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, except instead of a crotchety misanthrope, you have a guy who genuinely kind of wants to be a good person, but still kind of gets himself into awkward situations. He's just doing it out of a bigness of heart and a, an honesty and, and wanting to be a good guy. Uh, I love it. Three episodes in the third episode, I almost hurt myself laughing so hard. Uh, It is uh, very, very, very funny. Dave, it's on FX, but I'm watching it on Hulu because they did the FX on Hulu. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Heather, Alexandra, and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in our chat room for hanging out with us live. Thank you to all of you for being there for us. We want to be there for you as we move through however long this situation is. Um, Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Please practice social distancing. Wash your hands. Think about uh, maybe you're not the one who's most at risk, but think about what you can do to slow the, the spread of this to protect those who are vulnerable. Uh, we're all in this together. So we'll we'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. <laughs>